This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. Every week, a lot of big news happens in Chicago and Illinois, and every Friday, we take you deep into those stories and catch you up on anything you may have missed. It's called Reset's Friday News Roundup. Christopher Columbus statues in both Grand Park and Little Italy came down overnight. President Donald Trump says he is sending federal agents to Chicago to try and stop gun violence. The citizens of Chicago are citizens of America, and they have the same right as every other American to live in safety, dignity, and peace. A drive-by mass shooting of 15 victims outside a funeral. For many in that neighborhood where it happened, it's just another reminder of the dangers they face every day. It's that those shooters took advantage of families and friends who were gathered to mourn the death of a young man. Those are just some of the stories we'll talk about today with NPR correspondent Cheryl Corley and president of the BGA, the Better Government Association, David Grising. David, Cheryl, there's a lot to unpack, and I want to start with the news that happened overnight. The statues of Christopher Columbus coming down in Grant Park and Arrigo Park. Cheryl, this middle-of-the-night action by the mayor feels, it feels like Meg's Field deja vu. Oh, it absolutely reminded me of Meg's Field. I, I, uh, as soon as I saw that happening, it was like, oh, history revisited in, <laughs> in a way. For those folks who might not be have been around at the time, that was, I think, 2003 when Mayor Daley had a big, X's etched into Meg's field because he wanted a, a parkland there happened overnight. Although, you know, we have echoes of what happened uh, several years ago. This is vastly different. And the fact that it's just uh, been such a, a passionate touch point, really, for, for people. You know, whether or not the mayor took the right step or not, who knows? I think that what she said in her statement about trying to uh, make sure that there was uh, public safety while also preserving the space for a discussion about what's to come next. Um, You have to take her at her word at that. And, you know, the protest, I think, really uh, on both sides, what we saw, the protests from the protesters and the the actions from the police really uh, made that action necessary. Yeah. David, what a week for it to start with protests that happened on last Friday night to what we saw uh, overnight last night. This is uh, going to be a moment in Chicago history. Yes, absolutely. And I think it was a response to what happened last weekend and also that mm-hmm. John Catanzara, the head of the Fraternal Order of Police, had been down at the statue yesterday evening uh, saying he was going to hold a rally of police around the statue. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's what tipped Mayor Lightfoot mm-hmm. over. I think a big difference between um, the Megsfield case and this one is that the mayor says that this statue could well go up after a process of reconsideration, whereas with Megsfield, Mayor Daley bulldozed, literally bulldozed axes <laughs> in that landing field. And so 
it's odd that after making taking pains to say there's going to be a deliberate process that she acted as she has. But this one is reversible. I doubt it will be reversed. It just would be so controversial to put Columbus back on his pedestal, both literally and uh, figuratively. He's been knocked off his pedestal as far as history goes because the whole story is not as, as the same as the one that we were taught in our school yeah. books. And the reconsideration that's going on across the country with mm-hmm. all, all monuments and such is going to be a big process. And it's good that the mayor at least is saying, let's do this deliberately over time. This is uh, an exact opposite move than what we've seen from the federal government, from the White House. President Trump uh, making it an executive order, uh, making it a federal law to take down any sort of mon- monuments. And it's a nice way to, to, to segue into the fact that he also has taken aim at the city of Chicago, of course, uh, and bringing federal agents here as part of uh, Operation Legend. David, what's your thought on this? I mean, it's not the first time that federal agents have been reassigned uh, to Chicago to help with resources, but, but this one seems more political. Well, the context is entirely different because of what has happened in Portland with camouflage wearing otherwise anonymous federal agents with the word police on their breastplates, detaining people, not formally arresting or charging them with anything. And that's what Mayor Lightfoot feared was going to come our way when President Trump said he was going to send agents. Fortunately, and it it seems like it possibly was due to the intervention of the U.S. Attorney John Lausch, Uh, The president has backed off of that and is sending what could actually be help from the federal government. We clearly are having a serious problem with violence on the streets of Chicago. And if, in fact, these federal agents do support the Chicago police in a way that is welcome, it would be real progress, both for Chicago potentially, as well as the very troubled relationship between our mayor and the president yeah. of the United Cheryl, States. Cheryl, I want to play a clip here. The speech that he made at the White House that where, where he explained what was going to be happening with federal agents, he took a lot of time to talk about Chicago. Dave, can we play that clip? <laughs> the citizens yeah. of Chicago are citizens of America, and they have the same right as every other American to live in safety, dignity, and peace. No mother should ever have to cradle her dead child in her arms simply because politicians refuse to do what is necessary to secure their neighborhood and to secure their city. That clip is very important because it starts off as there's nothing to argue about. And as we we know with President Trump, as he gets to the end and he wants to place blame, he places the blame of Chicago violence at at the feet of politicians. He actually Mm -hmm. said something to the effect of the extreme radical left politicians who want to defund police. That's why we're seeing a spike in violence. What's your take on that? What's, what's your thought about, about the rhetoric that the president is using uh, over this issue? Well, we've heard this kind of rhetoric from the president often, right? And, and often when it comes to Chicago, it's uh, his favorite city that he likes to put in the spotlight when he talks about crime. So when you asked whether it's political or, or not, seems to be that, that way, at least in the sense that, you know, this is the city that, He likes to, you know, as I mentioned, put in the spotlight and also take it to the mayor. We've seen this contentious kind of relationship between the mayor and the president. Also, um, this time around as well, saying that she would take the Trump administration to court if this situation kind of devolved into what we've seen in Portland. But as, as David rightly points out, 
if you have extra folks who can help with some of the violence that is occurring here in the city, the mayor seems to be open to that idea, mm-hmm. uh, seems to be open because she's comfortable with the, the U.S. attorney um, who she has had a relationship with, her as a, being a former prosecutor. So it kind of cuts both ways, and I think that the city is kind of taking a, a, a wait-and-see uh, attitude but as well as uh, agreeing to work with, you know, Federal folks. Yeah. I mean, they've been here. It's not like this is anything uh, new, but it is kind of the the tone in which yeah, they're coming. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Justin, if you look at the context too of what's happening, uh, homicides this year, 429 homicides so far this year. That's up almost 50 percent from last year. That's the fastest rate of homicides at any time since 1996. She knows that she and her new police chief, David Brown, do not have a handle. They do not have an answer for what is happening. And so logically, the more help, the more expertise that they can bring to bear, the better, so long as the it doesn't lead into the sort of chaos and uh, anarchy that we've seen with uh, what's happening in Portland. Now, okay, so, and I, I totally understand that. And, and I think everyone in Chicago recognizes, not just here in Chicago, but all around the country, that uh, violence is spiking. So it's not surprising that the federal government wants to take action. But I think many Chicagoans will push back that the reason that it's spiking, the president says, is because of this movement to defund, defame, and abolish the police. And he doesn't mention anything about the pandemic doesn't mention anything about economic uncertainty, doesn't get into any of the unrest and the uh, the fact that people are pushing back on racial disparities and inequities. At the end of the day, it, it almost feels hollow in the sense of, of what he's trying to accomplish by giving federal support by just blaming it on what is, at the end of the day, a political issue. I would agree with that. There, there's no evidence that would indicate that the defund movement is in any way directly responsible for this. And the defund movement is so new and so misunderstood, depending on the definition of defunding the police differs widely, depending on whom you might be talking to. And so to say that because of the defund movement, which really got going only since George Floyd, uh, does not begin to explain the kind of increase that we've seen in violence, not just in Chicago, but in some of the other large cities. So President Trump is doing that for political effect. He's trying to make a point and rally his law and order supporters. Uh, I don't think it's going to work, and I don't think it's it's material to solving mm-hmm. the problem that we have on the streets of Chicago right now. I just want to jump in, because when we talk about violent crime across the country and that sort of thing, what what we're looking at is really a conundrum, right? Because Violent crime, actually, across the country, including Chicago, has dropped. If you talk about all the other violent crimes, what hasn't and what has spiked is murder, and what has spiked is shootings. So why is it this one category of violent crime that we really can't really get this handle on that David is talking about? Now, one of the areas when we went to the political part of this is the Chicago FOP president, who was in the news today uh, for his uh, stance last night uh, around the removal of the the Columbus statue, John Catanzara. He wrote, he wrote President Trump an open letter asking for federal help. This at the beginning of the week. Then he made public uh, the exchange of text messages between he and the, or he and the mayor. Uh, the mayor in those texts called him a clown, a fraud, a cartoon character, a liar. And she got very colorful with her language. Now, he wrote that 99.9 of the department has zero respect for you. The idea that you're uh, making public a 
text messages and the, the language that these two uh, leaders are, are exchanging with each other. What, what do we make of it as Chicagoans? Well, the animus between those two people in particular and the animus between Lori Lightfoot and the Paternal Order of Police are, are there, and that's probably unlikely to change. Sure, One sort of sophisticated scientific polling John Catanzara did uh, of the police force, 99%, that sounds like... 99.9, David. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, but, you know, based on reporting I've done about the police, there is a part of the, the police force that supports what Mayor Lightfoot is trying to do. Certainly the FOP is, you know, speaks on behalf of the unionized workforce, but individuals in the police force see the problems. And the consent decree, which is something that the FOP has opposed, the consent decree is is actually supported by a fair number of rank-and-file cops because they don't like it when cops go out and do the kinds of uh, terrible things that they've done over the years. And they're proud to wear the badge, and they think that that taints the badge. And so there is a fight for the soul of the Chicago police force that is going on. Lightfoot is trying to rally the people who really believe in good policing around her. It's very difficult given the position she's in. Uh, but we do see these two setting to and we'll continue to see that as long as uh, whomever is the head of the FOP yeah. and as long as this mayor is in, is in her position. I don't know if we've seen it quite as strong. Do you think, David? You, you said whoever is the head of the FOP. <laughs> I don't know if we've seen it quite this contentious before. I, I did the wording. It's the it's the, the way that they're just insulting each other personally back and forth. Well, I'm, I'm surprised this by that. Is the, this is the second top FOP person whom she has publicly called a clown. She is very dismissive of the FOP. Having run the Chicago Police Board, she has seen yeah. some of the excesses of the FOP. The FOP has its place and represents its its workers very well, but it also has had some excesses that she has seen and that, that she resents. Yeah. All right, David, Cheryl, let's move on to some other big stories like the mass shootings outside the funeral home earlier this week in the Auburn-Gresham neighborhood. Okay, it happened even when the cops were there on the scene to make sure that something like this wouldn't happen. So what's your take on this incident? and the level of violence that we're seeing in Chicago this summer. Well, it's an example of uh, people being really brazen. You know, um, as you mentioned, there were police there. It's really an exasperating situation. I see you, both the mayor and the uh, police superintendent uh, came out to talk about it. The mayor visibly exhausted, uh, the police superintendent <laughs> defensive and upset. How do you get a, a handle on this? Uh, what we found out or what they reported was that it was the result, uh, as we've seen so often with these shootings, a result of drugs, gangs, retaliation. That seems uh, over shootings. And some, of, and some of this retaliation that we've seen with the shootings is not necessarily connected to drugs or gangs in the sense, in the sense of uh, looking at turf or territory if any, or anything like that, but it's from petty kind of insults, insults on social media, all things that police and authorities are looking at that kind of drive the violence yeah. that we're seeing in the streets That's today. such a great point. It's just all the things that, that used to be uh, fronts that would be taken care of in other ways are now being taken care of in shootings. Um, yeah. We had on the show Tamar Manasa, who's uh, uh, she's with Mothers Against Senseless Killing, because Superintendent David Brown, he, he came out and he said, well, we need help from the communities. The communities need to step up. We need to figure out who these people are. 
But she countered that. And I want to play a clip. This was really interesting for me as a host of Reset to just to hear her talking about that being somewhat of a myth uh, when it comes to the community dealing or, or res- communicating with the police. Nobody's listening. This is not just coming from any Joe Schmo off, off the street. I'm telling you this. I've done my due diligence. I've done my homework. So you need to care about this, and you still don't care. It's really disheartening. It really looks to me like somebody looked the other way on this and let this happen. She says that she, she talked to the police. She called the police saying that this was going to happen that the community knew this was going to happen, that there was retaliation, they, just as you mentioned, Cheryl, that this was something that uh, you know the police should have known about and looked the other way. Now, the, the superintendent pushes back on that, but it seems to be a different narrative from the narrative that continually gets pushed, that the community has a no-snitch policy and doesn't want to talk to the police. It sounds like they're trying to talk to the police, but they're not listening. This is the second time major decision that he has made that really has shown his not recognizing kind of the problems that he may be facing on the streets. Memorial Day weekend, he cut back on overtime compared to prior years. He may have had, according to reporting, a thousand fewer cops on the streets. And Memorial Day was a disaster. The mayor called it a fail. And now with this, he did have warning that this was coming. I don't know. I don't know policing well enough to know if two squads in a tactical unit ought to be adequate when a black stolen Malibu drives down the street with three people and two of them shooting automatic weapons, uh, you know, 10 cars might not have been able to stop that. But there is a valid question about, is he rising to the scale of the problem that he faces? And I love to hear the community members speak up like that because they are, as you pointed out earlier, they are the ones who are suffering most from this and they are doing what they can. And if his big thing, community policing, if it has any weight at all, They've got to be, the CPD has to be responsive when people call ahead and say, hey, there's going to right. be trouble. That's what they're asking for. Out there. Right, right, right. Yeah. We had um, Representative LaShawn Ford on yesterday, and he made a good point as well, saying if the federal agents really wanted to make a difference when it comes to gun violence in Chicago, secure the borders. Stop drugs from coming in and stop uh, guns from coming in from the states uh, that, that we share a border with, whether that be uh, Indiana or Wisconsin. The reason I mention that is this this narrative that always gets pushed in the media about what is happening and how we can handle uh, gun violence in Chicago. And you hear other people saying that some of those things are missed or or are or, or not necessarily a full truce. Yeah. And and also uh, what you mentioned, I mean, the mayor mentioned it, too, that the kind of federal assistance we need is really to focus on on guns. And the uh, superintendent has taught not just this superintendent, but the former ones as well. I've just talked about the number of guns that really proliferate throughout the community and how simple it is to to get, um, you know, a gun, ammunition, and, and all of that here, and, you know, what kind of steps can be taken and how can the federal government help. We saw Governor Pritzker this week uh, you know, announce more cases. Uh, I think it rivals now uh, some of the, the numbers we saw back in April. Uh, the mayor of Chicago pulled back and, and took us back to phase three when it comes to indoor bars, closing bars today. Do those numbers concern you, Cheryl? Do they, does it concern you to see that we're starting to see what might be an upward trend when it comes to COVID-19? Well, yeah, because if you look at, at other states where, you know, the positivity rates have started to increase, they can really blossom. Um, so I think that that's why the city, we have to 
applaud them in some way. You know, what they're doing causes lots of serious negative effects down the line for folks for folks who need jobs and, and that sort of thing. But if you're looking strictly at, you know, keeping people alive, <laughs> reverting and taking some of the tough steps that they're doing and really paying attention to the numbers so that they won't balloon like we have seen in places right. that uh, didn't really stress the social distancing well, and wearing the mask and making sure that we didn't have so many people in a particular place. So, yeah, I think the numbers are concerning. I mean, we peaked in May uh, and we're steadily going down. But now, as you mentioned, starting to see those numbers uh, climb. Cheryl, when we think about the climb and the decisions already made, whether that be to, um, you know, outdoor patios and restaurants and businesses being reopened or, you know, the decision made by many school districts to reopen in the fall or to go to a hybrid model, that's all back on the table if these numbers continue to rise. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's what worries everybody, people with kids, teachers, um, students. How do we go about this and how do we bring people uh, into situations like schools where you're not spreading the disease or, or having people get sick again. And, you know, it's just such a huge uh, problem at this point that has to be addressed. Yeah. Uh, David, let me ask you about one thing we talked about this week as well was just that the uh, the city's got the emergency order for quarantining and, and they added Kansas uh, to the number of states that uh, if you travel to, you have to do a two-week quarantine. And there is a serious conversation happening around the state of Wisconsin. And that is so hard for Chicago that that almost shares a border with Wisconsin, has commuters that come in, not to mention all the people from the state of Illinois and from the city of Chicago that go to Wisconsin for summer vacation coming up here in August or right now. I can't even understand how a quarantine, an emergency quarantine around going to Wisconsin would work. Well, uh, it it would be pretty complicated. First of all, this is being done on the honor system, really, for all practical purposes. And so it is very, very difficult to enforce. This tells us the borderless nature of this disease, yet we do have borders. The virus can spread across borders, and people carry it across borders when they cross those borders. And that's the idea of trying to stop that. But as you, there are thousands and thousands of people who move back and forth across that border every single day. So the practicality of it is really a right. concern. I don't know how they will deal with that, but it, you're right. It looks inevitable given the way that positivity is rising in Wisconsin. And Mayor Lightfoot's efforts to really be uh, serious in controlling her border, preventing spread caused by people coming in from other places. It blows my mind that we're talking about uh, the news of the week and we wrap with a political corruption scandal in Springfield. (laughs) It seems like (laughs) in any other week we'd be leading with this, but uh, the Tribune's reporting and WBEZ as well uh, that, uh, you know, the net is widening. AT&T is uh, being subpoenaed as part of a widening federal corruption probe in Springfield. And this all surrounds House Speaker Mike Madigan. Governor Pritzker said Madigan should resign if charges are proven. Cheryl, you've known much about Illinois politics for so many years. This is this is a momentous story and it, one that, that could have serious ripple effects to how sh- Illinois works. This was a bombshell, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's incredible. And absolutely what you say about, you know, the, the fact that this comes as the last thing that we're talking about is incredible as well. Because, I mean, Michael Madigan has been in power Forever, as long as I can remember, I think he was uh, out of the position as Speaker of the House 
for maybe a year or two, but the longest-serving House speaker, uh, legislative leader uh, in the country, I believe. And he's really kind of shaped the Democratic Party in the state, really shaped politics in Illinois, uh, outlasted many of the governors that have been here. Um, So to see uh, what's happening now and the possibility of, you know, him being involved in some kind of uh, uh, legal situation uh, is incredible and is is really going to change, I think, how um, politics operates in the state. David, from the Better Governments Association's uh, point of view, this is not just about Michael Madigan. I mean, it is about, and, and I'm surprised, too, because, you know, all eyes are on Michael Madigan and ComEd got a, a, a charge of bribery, which we talked about last week on Friday. But nobody's really been forced to step down there. Uh, there There is now connections to not just uh, past legislation when it comes to giving uh, ComEd pretty sweetheart deals coming out of the state house, but also the fact that uh, some are looking into you know, uh, criminal investigations. There was an electrocution, if you remember the story, and and it kind of got passed over. Like, it just wasn't something they talked about. And there's just all of this swirls around, and it's just becoming the story. It's not just about Mike Madigan, but it's about corruption and lobbyist reform in Springfield. Well, there's still a lot of lobbying reform that needs to be done, uh, and this is making it clear. And what we'll find out about how the game is played at places like AT&T, Walgreens, and Rush uh, Medical System. Uh, those are the three that we're aware of that also have been subpoenaed. I need to correct that the CEO of, of uh, ComEd, Ann Promagiore, did step down uh, uh, just ahead of the uh, revelation of the company that it was cooperating with the investigation. So that is one, per- one person who has. But ComEd internally is going to need to be doing some really major house cleaning it- itself. And also, we haven't heard the end of the penalty phase of this because there were, as you mentioned, there were two major utility regulation bills passed during the period uh, covered by this investigation, 2011 and 2016. A lot of people are going to be up in arms saying, we want some of our money back because you greased this deal by bribing Mike Madigan. You've admitted to bribing. It's a bribery uh, charge. Yeah, right. So, uh, So we haven't heard the end of this story. There's a lot yet to come not just the comment, but in some of these other companies and the Madigan story, the other shoe to drop, the Madigan story yeah. itself. Well, I, I, we got to wrap here. That's it for the Friday News Roundup. Uh, a huge week when it comes to news, and I can't thank you guys enough for joining us. NPR correspondent Cheryl Corley and David Grising, president of the Better Government Association. Cheryl, David, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Oh, quite welcome. And that's it. That's the Friday News Roundup. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks to the entire Reset staff. And thank you for listening. Stay safe. Stay cool. And we'll catch you back here next week for more Reset from Chicago's NPR news station, 91.5 WBEZ. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause. And rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.